I'm Kurt Benkert, and this is Pocket Presence, powered by Sleeper. Welcome back to another episode, a Thursday special. We're going to dive into this week's action, some DFS, some trending topics, and everything in between. Tyler, what's up, dude? Good morning. Hope you've had your coffee. I have. I'm ready to get going. A big week of football, a lot of playoff implications. You seem to get to week 15. And these seem to be the times where you learn who's for real, who's not for real. But we talked about it on Tuesday. I feel like this year, more than any year, there's a lot of teams where you just have no idea. Like this team could miss the playoffs and fire their coach, or they could sneak in and win their division in the case of the NFC South. Yeah, this is nuts. And we, we've we obviously talked a lot about the NFC South, but it seems to be every wildcard team imaginable. What is their future going to look like in the next year, two, three? Depends on this last three-week stretch or so, three weeks left, man. It has flown by. You look at teams like the Bills, and you're like, man, I would not want to play them. If I was a team, felt like I had a good season, the Bills are the last team I'd want stepping at my doorstep. They've been controlling the ground game. They look like a true North team. Kind of look like an AFC North team a little bit. less, A little less AFC East, but they've been running the ball. Josh Allen, biggest thing that I've seen from him, one, he's not turning the ball over, but without the amount of volume passing, he's still making the big plays that are changing the games. You look at the game that he just had against the Cowboys. He didn't light the stat sheet up on fire, but the critical third downs, the big plays, the big crossing routes, the runs that he needed to do to move the chains, everything that he needed to do in critical situations without throwing the ball 50 times a game, he was able to do. And that to me, that's when you know a quarterback's really vibing and he's playing well. And that reminds me of Aaron Rodgers a few years ago. He was not lighting the world up on fire stats-wise, but he was taking care of the ball, scoring a lot of touchdowns, and he was efficient. And I think the best quarterbacks can do that in December. So you mentioned the Bills. They play the Chargers this week, who will be playing their first game since firing Brandon Saley. I feel like a team either falls in one of two camps. It's the fired coach bump. They play a little feisty, a little frisky with an interim head coach, or they just continue to suck because the coach got fired and Probably part of that reason is because his team sucks. So where do you see the Chargers <laughs> falling between those yeah. two categories? I would I would look at them as the complete suck category. Um, Keenan Allen is awesome. And for him, I know he's been dealing with a heel injury. Like, is he going to play? Who knows? Justin Herbert's out. Their defense starts to look a little decimated. This is where you see young guys playing hard and old guys checking out. Because the young guys are playing for contracts for next year. Old guys... They might be playing for bonuses and this and that towards the end of the season, but they're going to keep themselves safe and they're not going to risk any injury because that would make for a really long offseason. And this is where you start to see the dynamic shift. And I would say with no real hope in sight, I don't look at them like the Raiders who are playing hard for their coach. These guys are going to be looking out for their futures for themselves first. And again, you got coaches that are coaching the next three weeks with the Chargers that have nothing to coach for. And they are checked out. I would like to see the Bills just absolutely go in there and roll them and just kind of keep this train moving. Why is that? You mentioned Antonio Pierce with the Raiders. Why why do some teams bounce after a coach gets fired and why do some teams continue to spiral? So with the Raiders situation, those players are playing their ass off and they're playing in this resume type last stretch of the season for their future potential head coach, Antonio Pierce. So If they know he's going to be the head coach, obviously they're going to want to put on the best foot forward, keep him as the head coach if they love him, which it seems like they do. And then you don't want to build a bad rapport with the guy who's going to be the head man next year. So like, there's no, like, there's no riff. There's no loss in, I guess, extra effort where if you look at the chargers, they fired their guys so late 
nobody that's going to be interim or anything is going to be there next year. So it's like, I'm going to look out for myself because these coaches are going to look out for themselves. So it's just those two dynamics are so different. When you fire a coach early, you give yourself time as an organization to still fight. If you fire somebody late, that's from the top down, ownership all the way down telling you, look, we're checked out this year. It's over every man for themselves. And that's how it should be. These guys like put their their bodies on the line every single week. And if I was, you know, a betting man, which I sometimes am, I don't think the Chargers win another game this year, unless it's some fluke in mm-hmm. the next two weeks. They will not beat the Bills this week. All right. So we have Bills and Chargers on Saturday, another Saturday game, battle in the AFC North, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. What are your Give thoughts me on this Saturday one? Saturday ball. Yeah, it's great. Man, I'm I'm all for it, dude. So Cincinnati, look, I, I made a meme this past weekend that the <laughs> The Steelers quarterback room is like the uh, multiverse of Spider-Mans where it's like all Spider-Man, but they're all a little different, but all still Spider-Man. I wouldn't even say that they're you know as talented as Spider-Man, but that quarterback room in Pittsburgh is weird, but very similar. And now they move on to Mason Rudolph, yes, who has been there for a really long time. And I think that he's better than Mitch Trubisky. I think he'll throw the ball downfield a little bit more accurately. That's kind of his thing. He's not mobile. He's not going to be able to do much moving against that Bengals defense. Um, I know the Bengals are without Jamar Chase. That makes it a little bit tougher. Pittsburgh's defense can be a little stingy. Um, I think the Bengals are primed to win this game, but they're going to have to play clean football and just take care of the ball. Um, yeah, I the Steelers, man, I would love to see a full rebuild. And I think that organization, like it's about time. They need it. They're a storied franchise. They have all this history. And it's, dude, when you roll up into Pittsburgh, I've been there a few different times for games. You just feel this like steel town, football town. Like, it doesn't really matter how good or bad their season's going. Like, they just, they breathe it and they love it. And I think the Pittsburgh Steelers fans deserve a little bit more. They deserve a lot of bit more, honestly. And I would love to see, I don't know, maybe even a hardball yanked from college and going to coach there. I don't know if it'll happen. Who knows? But I would love to see them kind of spin things around and turn it over because I think it's about time. Yeah, I haven't heard that link Harbaugh to Pittsburgh but as you describe it it does sound enticing do you think Mike Tomlin is gone at the end of the season it seems you're kind of leading us in that direction I don't know if he is but I think he should be and I also think he deserves a head job somewhere else because right now what he's dealing with is a roster issue and obviously dude the fact that they've won as many games as they have with the roster the way it is I think it's it's pretty wild. Like I had them winning maybe four games this year, like total. They've found a way to win some games, and that's mainly at the, you know, on the backs of their defense. But I think Tomlin deserves a fresh start somewhere else. I think Pittsburgh needs a fresh start, but they're going to need a full implosion of their roster and reset. And I just I don't know. I like Tomlin as a coach. I think. I don't know how much better they can get in the next year or two in that division. And I also think that Tomlin could go to a weaker division, AFC South, maybe, I don't know, NFC West Cardinals. I don't know. They'll probably keep their guy. Maybe not, but I would love to see him go somewhere else and just kind of like reset because I don't know. I think it, I think change is good in this situation for Pittsburgh on both sides. Sure. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves and jump to Sunday, there is a Thursday night game. One with playoff implications, as boring on the surface as it might seem, Saints versus Rams, not something that makes me super excited, but at the same time, there are actually a lot of NFC playoff implications here. So, you know, what are you looking out for? We might see a Jameis Winston sighting here, which helps the excitement factor of this game a little bit for me. Yeah, what's, but what's the latest? What's the latest on that? I have no idea. It seems are like we... every week Derek Carr just gets 
totally injured and looks like he'll never play another down of football again and then miraculously yeah. get put back out there. Yeah, like how how does Derek Carr get back up after like broken bones, torn shoulders? Like I feel like he's the most publicly injured quarterback as like a disclaimer. You know what I mean? Like some of his injuries I feel like are disclaimers for like, hey, if I play bad, it's because I'm injured. But I'm also going to go out there and try to sling it. Where I don't know, man. Every time Jameis Winston stepped into the game this year, he has made plays, and it hasn't always. It's looked very Jameis, but like he's fitting in hole shots and like double coverage and all this good stuff. And I don't know. I I like watching Jameis play football. I think it's I think it's a roller coaster ride that I enjoy. But um, I don't know. I think for the Saints to reach their ceiling, and I think you've seen the frustration from their O line, like ripping Derek Carr on the way off the field. He's been booed plenty of times this year. Like, I think that Jameis, with their weapons, gives them the best chance to win. And again, dude, it's the NFC South. Like, you don't have to do a whole lot to win that division. And I think if there was ever going to be a time, put Jameis in there, let him run it up, and then give the ball to Taysom Hill in the red zone. And I think you should probably win the NFC South that way. What do you do if you're the Saints? It seems like they're caught in this perpetual cycle of being way over the salary cap. It's all started when they were trying to give Drew Brees a a final hurrah or a final push into the Super Bowl. But they have one of the worst statistical head coaches by winning percentage in Dennis Allen. They seem to have no future at quarterback. They're going to be something like $70 million over the cap next year. If you're a Saints fan, do you even want to win this game and make the playoffs and like perpetuate this suffering? Or do you want a hard reset like you mentioned with the Steelers? The Saints definitely feel like a messy situation. And... Again, I think just because they're so close to the playoffs, and again, I'm I'm a fan of like anything can happen in the playoffs, especially this year. There's a lot of injuries to teams. Like you just got to get lucky in the playoffs one or two times, and then you're staring at a conference championship game. I think for the Saints, look, dude, you look around the league, you look around your division. The Bucks are trending in the right direction. Baker Mayfield's playing really well. He's playing clean football this past month. He's really turned it around. He's gonna sneak into my top ten of these next few weeks. Um but they have like light at the end of the tunnel. You look at the the Panthers, maybe there's not light at the end of the tunnel, but they have an excuse to not be good. They're young. They don't even have a coach. They, you know, need to probably trade some people away and and reset too and get some some draft capital. But then you look at the Falcons. The Falcons are the ones to me that are like if they get rid of Arthur Smith and can get a new scheme in, they look like they have the most promising future in the South. It's going to be you know, in my opinion, Falcons bucks the next few years. And then you look at the saints, it's looking pretty grim over the next few years. If they don't address some major issues in the cap space, they have some old stars that are still getting paid a lot of money, maybe not performing to the same extent. I don't know. Like if I'm a saints fan, like what's you just accept it is what it is this year. I hope you guys win some games and get to enjoy a playoff game maybe, but they need a, their quarterback situation needs to be addressed. I don't even know what their draft capital looks like. It's just, if I was a head coach, that would be a job that I'm like, ooh, let me stay away because it's going to be three years until like things can get cleaned up. That's what it is. It's just a dirty situation. What do you make of this game? The Rams obviously are fighting for some wild card playoff seating. Yeah. How do you see it shaking out? Dude, I love the Rams, honestly. I love what Matt Stafford's doing. I love that he's absolutely saved my fantasy football season. I picked him up as soon as CJ Stroud got a concussion and thankfully... He's been balling, and Stafford's the only reason why I'm in the playoffs still. So I love what Stafford's doing. It looks like they finally found an offensive blend between running the ball with Kyron Williams and throwing the ball, like distributing distributing the ball in the right capacity to both Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. 
they have balance right now across the board. I think what Kyron's ran for over hundred yards the last three games, I believe. I mean, he's balling and they, again, they traded away a running back earlier in the year. I know Cam Akers tore his Achilles after that, but the Rams took a little bit of time to figure it out. And now that they have figured it out for the most part, I look at them kind of like the bills, let them get in and, I wouldn't want to play him. I would not want to be a two or three seed and get matched up against the Rams. That would be frustrating. Anything can happen with Matt Stafford. He won a Super Bowl. He was great in Detroit for a long time, and he's playing at a really high level these last few weeks. I feel like people are kind of sleeping on Sean McVay. We talk about Kyle Shanahan as the new boy, but we don't have a Kyle Shanahan really without Sean McVay first. He was kind of the original of these young coaches. What is McVay doing well right now to keep the Rams in it? Because you could argue they don't have the best talent in the league, they're obviously able yeah. to find some of these diamonds in the rough and Puka and Kyron Williams, but you know what is he doing? I, he's going under the radar for me this year. I think with McVay, look, what he does better than I think anybody in the league is he finds a way to get his best players the ball in space in a million different ways. And he is his offense will look slightly different each week. They have their staples, but he's willing to get out of the box. He's willing to get creative. And right now, look at Cooper Cup. Look at everywhere that he lines up on the field in different formations, different splits, different motions, they will feed his ass. And some teams just won't. They'll be static. They'll expect people to win one-on-ones all the time. Cooper Cup is all over the field. Puka Nakua is like Cooper Cup B, and they're doing the same stuff with him. And it's like they're making contested catches. He's got – like those guys are playing well, but McVay is putting his guys in a position to be successful, and then they're letting the athletes do their thing. And that's honestly what you saw early on with Justin Jefferson – Justin Jefferson, how explosive he's been in his last few years, he's been moved around all over the field. He's not just playing X, lined up one-on-one every play where they can double cover him with a safety over the top. Splits, motions, weird routes, like that's what the best coaches right now are doing, and Sean McVay is putting on a masterclass for that. All right, let's jump to Sunday. We first have to talk about the Mm. Packers taking on the Panthers. We thought it could happen this week, Kurt. Joe Barry maybe out of D.C., Matt LaFleur puts his stamp of approval on Joe Barry and says, nope, he's sticking around. I saw a quote from Eric Stokes that Joe Barry came into the team and said, we have to stop letting these explosive long plays happen. They're killing us. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, no shit, dude. It's, if only we could find the guy who uh, who's doing that. There, there's some meme where it's like, you know, dude. he's the guy committing the crime, right? If yeah, It's so frustrating. <laughs> what do the Packers have to do, Kurt, in these last three games to get you to jump back on their wagon? I'll never be back on the defensive wagon. Like I just, I've already been cut too deep so many times. And I think right now, dude, the offense is going to have to score so many points. And I don't even think it's like, this is, this is the problem with the way that the defense is, is set. So this defense is too high shell defense. And like, they refuse to break out of it. The only way that that works is if you have a lead and you're playing with a lead early, because then it unlocks your D line to start pass rushing. If you're playing a close game the whole time and you're playing too high, you're going to give away free runs. And with how deep they play, they're too high. They're going to give away free passes. Obviously, you saw third downs. The other thing that they need to do is they need to swap their defense on third downs and get out of what they do first and second downs. And I know they bring in nickel from time to time, but it's still like this weird shell. They never want to let you know what they're doing because they want to keep you guessing. When you're misaligned in the NFL or when you're disguising, you're going to give up free space. That's the trade-off. They don't know what we're doing, but there's always room for space. And if you're playing against a quarterback that has a quick release and an offense that's willing to give him options, they're going to find the quick space most of the time. So for me, it's like all that the only fix that I specifically see for this defense that could change things 
you have to match personnel. No more Devondre Campbell being asked to guard Chris Godwin. Like that's like asking Luke Keekley to guard Julio Jones back in the day. It looked bad all the time. Why did they do it? They refused to get out of this cover four defense that they love showing back in the day. That's like how the Panthers used to do it. And so you have to be willing to change that philosophy. And on third downs, especially go play man and blitz. You have to be willing. I would rather give up the big play on a go ball or something like that. than give up a big play on space that was just given to them. And then somebody breaks a tackle and takes it 40 to the house. And so which it's like, which risk do you want to take? Like, let me take the quick death because I'm tired of the slow death by a thousand cuts. And right now, Joe Barry's defense, for the most part, has only thrived when the Packers had the lead early. Like, that can't be the case. Like, you have to have a specific defense that you run early in the game and late in the game if that's how you want to play football. But you can't do the same thing the entire game and on third down. And I'm like, it's just, there's no way that people that don't really know the intricacies of football are able to look on TV and be like, that looks bad. Like, what are we doing? And then to the point with Matt LaFleur, like, I get it, man. You have a whole organization to run. You have a lot of responsibility and you have to call plays on offense. But I know for a fact you're watching every single play of every single game. And I know for a fact you're scheming to beat the same defenses that you're seeing go on the field on your own team. And from a self-scout perspective, you cannot tell me, Matt, that you're watching this defensive film and thinking that the players are being put in the best position possible to have success. And that's all that a coach's job is, right? A coordinator's job is pre-snap, get the players in the best position possible to find success. They have not done that on defense for most of the year. And so you're failing to do your job. And from a personal, like, look, I'm biased. I'm like, I still have like some salty feelings. I was cut from the Packers for like, just having opinions on social media, honestly, because I was willing to talk about things outside of football and not many people, no, some people did not like it. Some people love it. And some people still talk to me about it. that are still there. But look, man, you cannot go and like cut people and just have a revolving door for players like you've been known to do with the Packers, but not have accountability for your play callers or for other coaches that are just, their only responsibility is putting the players in a position to have success pre-snap everything else is on the players after that so that's my soapbox pisses me off obviously because i still have friends that are there that are like i'm just watching all around the league how easy does it look with mike mcdaniel like that shit looks easy cj stroud he's getting guys that are wide open from time to time you look at the 49ers like plug and play they're finding they're having success there's a lot of easier ways to have success in the nfl and then you look at you look at the Vikings, the Vikings defense. They're kind of decimated. It's Flores, right? That's their DC. Yep. He is known to blitz more than anybody in the league. He's willing to risk that. Give me that, Joe Barry. Like it, there's there's literally like five different play calls. That's all you need to do. There's five play calls on third down that you need if that's how you want to play. It's all about crowding the line and then having a few play calls out of that. Nickel double A, Madden. Do it all the time. Give me that. Just stop this like slow death just make it just kill me now do you, do you think there's anything that joe barry can do to save his job at this point changes like literally call different plays it's just <laughs> like just call different plays dude like if i was pl- this is the shit that just gets me it's like crazy it's insanity right like doing the same shit over and over and again yes. and expecting different results if i was playing madden it's a video game i would never call the plays that joe barry's calling ever like 
and Madden's pass happy just like the league is. Like, you would never see me calling the shit that he's calling. And I know it's a video game, but damn it, things translate. And you're not seeing anybody else around the league call the shit he's calling consistently on third down. Like, that's the other thing. When you're when you're game planning in the week, like on offense, this is like stepping onto the other side of the field. We go through first and second downs, um, first and 10 or second and seven or less. That's like regular downs. Then you go into second and longs. That's like how the play sheets are determined. Then you go into your special plays. Then you go into third downs. Third downs are third and two to three, third and four to six, third and seven to 10, and then sometimes third and 11 or 12 plus Just categories. Like there's no reason why his shit on third down and three to four, third down and two to three, three to six, whatever, that like short to mid range should look the same as his open down plays. And that's what you're seeing. And I'm like, it's just, it's like lazy or it's like, I don't know, man. It's, and you're seeing the frustration boil over from the players because mm-hmm. they have a team that can win right now. Like the, the this is the wildest wild card year of the NFL and they have a team that's ready to win right now. And they're being held back by, decision makers and coaches in my opinion that like all you like let these dudes go play man and blitz just do that because you on paper have a better defense player by player than most of the offenses that you play against and you have this cool shiny toy that you don't know what to do with and as a fan get I, me off my soapbox yeah man. you're good i mean as a fan i feel like there's no winning for <laughs> joe barry this weekend anyway that he could put on a defensive master class hold the panthers to no touchdowns just like the falcons did last week and all we would say on tuesday is well they played the Panthers. You know what I mean? So like, I, yeah, dude, if the, if the Panthers score any points this week, that's a disgrace. If the Panthers score more than 10 points this week, I, I've seen like, and that's the thing I watch them play offense and I'm like, you're just as bad on offense as Joe Barry is on defense. So like, Holy shit. What are we in for this week? It could be what it could be fireworks. Like who the hell? <laughs> Imagine if we get a shootout against the Panthers. That would be it's just crazy. crazier things that happened. I mean, the, the Raiders put up 63 on Brandon Staley, and he's supposed to be some defensive genius. Yeah. So who knows? The other thing is, dude, the Panthers' defense isn't bad. Like, Panthers' defense is one of the top-rated defenses in the league, I believe, like down to down. And they're on the field probably more than anybody else in the league. It's Their defense is not a bad thing to inherit for a new coach. Mm. All right. Well, let's move on. Dallas and Miami. This one mm. might be the game of the week for me. I think there are some interesting implications about both teams. I think both teams have this label as being potentially fraudulent. They're not able to beat mm-hmm. good teams. Uh, the Bills obviously just beat Dallas, Miami, uh, recently losing to Tennessee late in the game. So some question marks on both teams. But what do you make of a matchup like that where you're already not sure about each team and then they play each other? Mm-hmm it's almost not a testament to a win if you weren't sure about the other team in the first place. Yeah, this game is really tricky. So Cowboys, Dolphins, the way that I look at it is this. Dolphins went and beat the Jets last week. Jets defense is on paper really good. They've been good all year. But the Jets offense sucked. So the Dolphins offense, they put up 30, but they also had more opportunities to put up 30 because of how bad the Jets defense was. I mean, Jets offense was because of how bad the Jets offense was. So... I look at that like weighted points wise, like the Dolphins really in a normal game probably would have put up like 17 to 24, somewhere in there, which is still a solid game against good defense. Everything, again, when a defense is on the field all game long, they're going to get burnt a time or two where also the Dolphins are playing with a lead so they could play a little more aggressive. They couldn't, they could take some more risks. Then you look at this game, that's not going to be the case for the Cowboys and the Dolphins. So Cowboys offense is good. 
Cowboys defense, very similar scheme to the Jets defense. They have probably more game wreckers or playmakers on the Cowboys defense, but the Jets defense is more consistently stout. So the matchup, in my opinion, comes down to, does the Cowboys offense get ahead early and force the Dolphins to get out of their run game and get Tua into drop back? If they can, if the Cowboys get ahead early, I don't see the Dolphins having a chance. If the Dolphins are able to control the game, run the ball, which the Bills ran the shit out of the ball last week on the Cowboys, I'd imagine you're going to see Raheem Mostert and Achan. Like, it's going to be a big game for those guys. And then you're going to need Tyreek to have like five or six like explosive plays or decent plays for them to win. So I will, I will make a prediction. They're playing in Miami. Cowboys are 0 3 against teams over 500 in an outdoor stadium. I'm going to say that the Dolphins will win this game, but I will be quick to watch that live line and see what happens in the first two drives because if the Cowboys get ahead early, I don't think the Dolphins game plan-wise are going to be able to come back with Micah Parsons just being able to rush the passer the whole time. That's not going to work. So if the Cowboys can get them out of their scheme, I think the Cowboys win. If not, I think the Dolphins win. Let's set some narratives before this game happens. You seem to think the Dolphins are going to win. What do we make of the Cowboys then coming off back-to-back losses against AFC playoff teams like these are quality opponents they're losing to do we become worried about the Cowboys and their prospects going forward yeah um I the thing that I worry about the Cowboys at this point is they thrive with home field advantage and on their field their turf field they're they're a faster team they're a cleaner team like it makes a difference for them and they kind of like it's kind of like the Vikings like when the Vikings are able to play at home their fast field turf indoors like they they typically look better than not and I I think that the Cowboys right now Man, if they win this game and they can get home field advantage all the way through until they have to play the 49ers, I think their playoff hopes look decent. And then you just got to have a good game against the Niners and hope things go well. If the Cowboys have to go back to Philly and play outdoors, I don't like that. I don't like the matchup of them having to play in cold games. They don't, they're not built for that this year and they don't look it. That could change. They could, they could come out and say, this game, we're just going to strap it up. But right now, they don't look like they want that. So, this is a really big game, and this changes a lot of playoff seating for both sides. AFC, NFC, you have obviously the the Ravens and the 49ers coming up this week too. So this could be a wild swing where the Cowboys win. Maybe Niners have a weird one. They lose. Like This, this is going to be the biggest weekend of football in the NFL, and Cowboys need this one bad. Let's flip it. How do we feel about the Dolphins if they lose this one? Then the narrative really builds that Miami has trouble beating teams over 500. How do we feel about the Dolphins if they drop this game against the Cowboys? This one for me, the Dolphins, uh, they just all come down to matchup for me. I don't look at them as like the most dominant team, but they're a very matchup oriented team. Like how does their offensive scheme fit versus the defensive scheme? And for that, like I think the Dolphins have got to have a very clean path in the playoffs to win and keep going because you look at them, like they dropped a game to the Titans. Like they, Titans were control the clock for the most part, tried to ground and pound a little bit. Like Derrick Henry had a solid game and that was tough. And what is the other team in the AFC that they're going to have to go through to get to the Super Bowl that runs that kind of like ground and pound the Ravens. So like matchup wise, I think that's tough for the Dolphins, but when they play a more traditional team, I think they match up a little better. Like they match up decent against the Cowboys. They can kind of yin and yang with what they do and their defense can cause problems for Dak so again the NFL more so than records and how teams are hot hot matters but it comes down to scheme and matchups and 
again, those two teams more than anybody, I don't think can go far out of the reservation of how they typically play ball and have success. They haven't done it this year. Sure. You brought up the Ravens. You brought up the 49ers. The NFL schedule makers were in their bag at the beginning of the year because Monday Night Football, we get what might be a Super Bowl preview. If you believe in any conspiracy theories, I don't know if you've seen this one about the logos, the colors in the Super Bowl logos the last two years have predicted the Super Bowl matchup. So the one with the Bengals and the uh, the Rams had Gee, yellow Rams. and had orange in the logo. Uh, the one with green and that. red had Chiefs and Eagles. And then this year, the Super Bowl logo for Las Vegas has a little red and then it fades into a little purple, maybe indicating we could be in for a 49ers-Baltimore matchup. So what do you make of this game? Yep. It, it might be the game of the year in terms of a matchup. Yeah, I, I love this because it's... It's two football teams that play a certain brand of football and you know what you're going to get. And right now, look, Ravens defense, what are they, top two, three in the league, maybe one by now, um, causing havoc, turnovers. And a lot of that comes to the fact that Lamar and his offense can control the clock, run the ball, and then now they're hitting the shots downfield that they needed to. They, they've unlocked that part of their offense with Odell and even Bateman of recently. Um, I mean, shoot, likely looks great too. Likely is... A sneaky elevation from Mark Andrews, in my opinion. Mm. Mark Andrews is a stud. He is great across the board. I would say everything under 20 yards. Um, and again, he's got a different skill. Really, it's not even so much that Likely's better. They have two different skill sets, and they're actually using Likely to his skill set that fits him. Like he's running downfield, catching balls, catching jump balls. Like it's pretty sweet to see. You're seeing Lamar pass the ball downfield accurately when he needs to. And that I think was missing last year. Plus, he was injured. But they have the ability to take advantage of people loading the box, crowding the box, and making plays downfield, where before you knew the Ravens were just going to run the ball and you're just going to stack and it was just going to be this head-to-head -head collision every time. So I think the Ravens could give the 49ers some problems. I'm really excited to see how Brock Purdy manages this pressure, manages the defense that's going to be in front of them and the tighter coverage that they're typically not used to seeing. But man, this is like, what, Christmas Eve, right? Uh, this is, I think, Christmas Day. It's on it's Christmas on Monday, Day. the 25th. Oh, we get man. a Christmas Day present. We get Christmas Day Super Bowl preview, potentially. Like, what a... Dude, this is the best year of football in my life. Mm. I'm not even playing. Like, this is just... This is, this is so sick. I'm loving it. Give me your prediction for this game, the, the Ravens uh, at 49ers, and some players or matchups to watch. You, you mentioned some of these skill position groups on each side of the football are some of the top in the league. So I'm curious what we're, what you're looking at. What I'm looking at for this, I think Christian McCaffrey versus Roquan Smith and Queen, how are they going to like adjust and who's going to be responsible? They're probably, if I'm them, I'm probably going to run more three than man, um, getting two guys in the hook zones underneath. <sighs> I also think uh, Charvarius Ward, um, Lil Mooney. Lil Mooney is going to be a problem for OBJ. I think, I don't think he's going to travel him or anything like that, but it's, the 49ers defense and what they do against the Ravens offense, that's because the Ravens are going to have to run the ball. Like they're going to have to run the ball even more so than ever. I don't think they're going to risk putting the ball in the air a whole lot and they're going to live off of play action and misdirection. That's just what this game's going to be. The Ravens are not going to want this to be a drop back game in any way, shape, or form. So you, I don't even think you really need to worry about the offensive line with Chase Young and Bosa if they can run the ball. Um, they're going to probably decide to run right at those guys because they're, they're power, power to speed rushers on the end. Um, really like 
man, this it's just like both teams are loaded across the board. It's these these are two Super Bowl rosters, and they're for the most part healthy. Um, I think that the 49ers are more primed for big plays than the Ravens are, but I don't know, man. If I'm if I'm hardball right now, I'm gonna stick to the script and I'm gonna just be chewing clock the whole game and trying to get four yards a pop and make it feel like the 49ers need to start pressing if they can have a lead early. So there's some player matchups, but both teams, I would say they're not like uh they're not they're not big like matchup based teams because they stick to their scheme for the most part. So Oh, give me the 49ers. Give me the 49ers winning this game. I think they have the more complete team and they have the higher ceiling. Also, the Ravens find a way to like let bad teams hang around where the 49ers don't. They normally handle business. So I just I think again the 49ers are the best team in the league. And Shanahan on Christmas is not gonna let this one slip by. All right. We're gonna get to some DFS picks in a second. We're gonna have a little yep. special for the pocket presence listeners. And if you remember my call to action last week, you got to get on these because Kurt is a mover of yep. lines. But first, I wanted <laughs> to ask you about something that came down this week. It seems like Aaron Rodgers has now indicated he will not be playing the rest of the year, something I think we expected with them being eliminated from yep. playoff contention. I'm curious if you can take us behind the curtain. He's medically cleared. You know, he's obviously taken off IR given this 21 day pra- practice window. But then he went on McAfee and talked about how he didn't feel 100%. So where is this line drawn where a player doesn't feel 100% ready to play obviously with Rogers or some other factors, but they get medically cleared. So they're technically good by doctors, but they don't feel hundred percent. Is that common in the NFL? Very common. So there's like a threshold needed, I would say to play. Um, and then there's a, obviously what feeling hundred percent feels like at this point in the year, most players don't feel hundred percent, regardless of if they have any injuries, any like coming back from any surgeries, I think in his case, obviously, it's a big risk-reward type deal. There's not much reward there, and it would be a hell of a lot of risk. And if anything were to rehappen, that would create another long four- to six-month process, right? So I know he wanted to play. I know he did everything he could to play, and he proved that. He could get at least medically cleared. Now it's not even worth strapping up the helmet because there's no fighting hope for that team anymore. Um, but yeah, in the NFL, it's it's unique. And if you've ever had an injury and I know we have listeners obviously that have had injuries before and everything, my own personal experience coming back from an ACL in college. So my junior year in college, um, I was maybe nine months out. I was six months out from an ACL when I had to go through spring ball and I was medically cleared. If I had to play a game and my season was on the line, I would have played and it would have been like, Oh, he looks slower than he used to. He looks like not him old self, his old self, but he could still sling it. Right. Like that's kind of, how I felt. And then after nine to 12 months, I was moving, I was moving well, I was moving better in straight lines, but like the horizontal wasn't quite there. And I didn't trust myself to play to that old style that I used to play. And so my junior year looked a lot different than my senior year. My senior year, I was a year and what, eight months removed from surgery. And I was back to myself. So it's like some of these guys that come off of ACLs or Achilles or like some of these really big injuries even their first year, it's still like, they're still kind of thinking about it where I look at guys that come back and it's like really by year two, I'm trusting that they're past that injury. Um, regardless, like they can still play well and they can still have all these stats and do all this stuff on a short notice. But it's really like that two year mark where you start, in my opinion, truly feeling like your old self and mentally being your old self. Yeah. I, I think you nailed that for Rogers. Like if they would have had to come back and run the table, he's not a stranger to doing that. And probably could have done it like you said but 
this point, what are you risking? And I think he's made his point yeah. clear that he could have done it if he wanted to, which is remarkable in and of itself. 100%. Great. Let's give the listeners some picks that we're looking at here. So Kurt, yeah. I, I had you prep some lines to look at, but these are live lines as of the 20th. We're recording this on yep. Wednesday. So subject to change, but if you get on these quick enough, hopefully you can pick them up close to what we're giving them out at. But what are you looking yep. at this week, Kurt? So we have, as of today, there's only four games available for lines that are out. Um, the first thing that I look at every single week are receptions because I'm very big on target-based slash volume plays versus outcome-based plays. So unless, you know, a touchdown for Christian McCaffrey, like that's a, that's an outcome-based play that I, I only go for the guys that I know are going to get the red zone touches, right? Like that's the only time I touch touchdowns or if I know a quarterback's playing against a favorable defense, I'm going to take their overs on 1.5 um, passing touchdowns. So I start with receptions and I go to see where they're set. And typically by game time, things change, obviously. So like right now, I'm looking at Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup's line is set at six and a half receptions. I think he will hit that, but I'm not going to grab it because right now the multiplier is set at 2.07, meaning it's more favorable, according to Sleeper, that this game he's going to have less. What I would like to do is I'm going to let the public hammer the less until the line moves from six and a half to five and a half. Then I'm going to take five and a half, meaning he needs six receptions. That six, seven, eight receptions mark is very tricky because one drive goes wrong. Maybe he has an injury that he comes out for a drive or two. You're going to have a hard time hitting that line. So I like when it's five and a half for really good players and I look for those and I'll be patient to get them. So keep your eyes out on Cooper cup. If it gets down to five and a half, take it. I'm not touching it yet. Um, the guy that I really like for this reception line right now is um tanner hudson he is tight end for the Bengals. they have young quarterback right he's playing right now they have jamar chase that's out tanner hudson had five receptions last week and his line is set at two and a half it was slightly inflated last week due to overtime but two and a half with a 1.62 multiplier right now i love it i'm actually adding an entry right now so i have tanner on that the other guy that I'm looking at is T Higgins. So his receptions are set at four and a half. I think he hits it, but I'm not going to touch it. Not just yet. I'm going to wait to see, can I get a more favorable reception or receiving yards line? Um, I'm very patient on my picks unless I find something I absolutely need to nail. Another one that I see receptions, Puka Nakua set at four and a half. I'm taking it. It's a 1.5 multiplier. He's had five the last two weeks. Um, he had four the few weeks before, but his targets share is going up right now. Nine targets two weeks ago, eight targets this past week. And again, watching these games, I like to know what is like the premise of his targets. He's getting good targets on third down. They're starting to pass the ball more on second down. They're running the ball when they need to. Like they, they have a really good flow of offense. I know that Puka is featured in it. And to get five receptions to hit this, that's really likely to happen in the way that they're playing offense right now. And they're going to need it. They're playing against New Orleans. Um, New Orleans could put up points quick. So I'm going to say that I like Puka to have over five receptions. If we can get Cup to come down one more, we'll take it there too. But right now, Tanner Hudson, Puka Nakua, 2.47 multiplier um, with these two guys. Three receptions and five receptions. I'm going to put $100 on that. Pays out 247 And then what I also like to do, like that's I like building two legs, right? I'm going to go back in and build one with the same guys that I really think are going to hit. Um, and then I start adding in the other legs to it. So that's one that I'm super confident in. 
Then I'm going to go around and look. Christian McCaffrey, anytime touchdown, 1.3. I'm going to take it. He's hit a touchdown every single week except for two. This past week, he had three touchdowns. In a game against the Ravens, when you're going to need to lean on your best guys, I'd imagine they're going to lean on their best guy. He's going to find a way into the box. So give me a Christian McCaffrey anytime touchdown. With him, you never know if it's going to be rushing or passing, so just grab that anytime. It'll probably be gone by the time this this episode goes out, but that's what I like. Uh, Okay, Matt Stafford, 1.5 passing touchdowns. In the last, let's see, one, two, three, four weeks, he's had two, three, three, and four passing touchdowns. He's playing against New Orleans. What do I think they're going to need to do to win the game? I think they're going to need to pass the ball because New Orleans has a stout front. And this is how I I basically build narratives and stories in my head for how I believe the games are going to play out. And most of the time, I'm like 70 to 80% right. So last week, uh, I actually had a seven leg, I believe, against those Seahawks Eagles that missed by six yards. Hmm. It was $60, pays $3,500, I believe. But I'm I'm feeling good because I'm, I'm right most of the time. Um, so I like Stafford there. Let's see if I can find no more sneaky reception lines right now. But again, these will all change by the time this episode's out. Um, let's go sniping a little bit more bills games to fond seven receptions. I don't like that at all. I actually think he'd go under Ooh, seven receptions actually could be a really good under for Stefan Diggs. He has not had over seven receptions in one, two, three, four, five, six weeks. I don't like touching unders because they could go bad quick in a weird game. So I'm going to stay away from that one. But if you guys like it, I would not be opposed to taking it. And then let's go to the last piece of the puzzle that I like. Kick points, baby. Kick points have been a really sneaky one for teams that have good offenses. Um, the number one that I'm looking at right now, give me Tyler Bass over seven and a half kick points against the chargers last week he only had seven against a good dallas defense prior to that he had eight against kansas city 10 against philly 16 against the jets i believe that the bills will find a way to have him kick through the uprights and earn more than seven and a half points so right now this is five legs pays 9.92 x on the money a hundred dollars would pay 992 dollars and i'm submitting this bad boy so that's kind of my philosophy how i go through and i do it um, as the lines start to come out, I do the same process. I make game narratives in my mind. How do I think they're going to go? Then work backwards, kind of find the goal, the outcome, work backwards and build it that way. So hope that helps for everybody that is new to DFS. I know it's different than traditional, you know, picking lines and everything, but I think there's some real value, especially if you can hone in on teams and how they play offense. Um, you can get a good beat on teams. Love that. Well, if you didn't follow that live, we'll try to put it out on social. <laughs> yes. But I encourage you to follow it live because like Kurt said, those those lines, they change quickly. And uh, as the pocket presence gang rides on them, I'm sure some of those will ride go up. Some of them will go down. Awesome, Kurt. Well, <laughs> any closing thoughts? We have a great week of football, a little holiday week of yeah. football. You know, make sure to spend holiday. time with family, but you gotta you gotta be yes. keeping an eye on some of these games. Oh, dude, they these games are gonna be on. And again, I think we're super we should be really thankful that we have good football and meaningful football around the holidays for a lot of teams, more than normal. Normally, you already kind of have the verdict. It's normally out. Jury's out, typically, but not this year, baby. Anything can happen, and that's the beauty of the NFL. Awesome. Well, great episode, Kurt. Thanks for being here, Tyler. Until next time, guys, follow along, like, comment, subscribe, do all the things, and we'll be back next week. See you over the weekend on Twitter. Twitter.